take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 tonight, and our text is verse number 13. I think this is the shortest text that I have ever preached from. It is short and succinct, four one-syllable words. Exodus 20 verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. And of all the commandments, I think this is the one that we typically think we can breathe easy to. I, uh, I hope and think that there are no murderers in the room tonight. And um, I think that this is where we are tempted to give a quick glance, a pat on our shoulder, and pass on by. Let's move on to the seventh commandment. But I think we've got to be a little careful. We don't, we don't want to take our victory prematurely tonight. And hopefully we've learned from the previous five commandments that we can't take our victories too early. And in fact, the commandments hit at the heart. The heart of the issue is the heart. And as we'll see toward the end tonight, that Jesus has some words for us from this, uh, from this sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And I want us to guide our thoughts through this sixth commandment using three headings, three headings for tonight. And first of all, I want us to think about the straightforward command that is found here in the sixth commandment. The command is very simple and easy to understand. And there have been some misconceptions about the Sixth Commandment. We'll deal with some of those here in a minute. But it's one that is very easy to grasp. The gist of this commandment is that it is a prohibition of human killing that is either done by premeditated intent or by neglect. Murder and manslaughter, that's what's prohibited in the Sixth Commandment. Murder is the obvious uh, implica implication here. But involuntary manslaughter is also included as being prohibited here in the Sixth Commandment. In Deuteronomy 22, for example, the Israelites were commanded that when they were building their house, uh, they were commanded to build uh, what Scripture calls a battlement or a border, a raised border on the top of their house, so that if any strangers came to their house, uh, they would not easily fall off the top and die. And if someone did fall off, the top of their house and die, as a result of them neglecting to build this battlement, then what was, what, what was the result of this was bloodshed was, on, uh, was, uh, was, was the responsibility of the household uh, that neglected to build the battlement. So the commandment is very simple. It is murder and manslaughter that are prohibited here. But we need to ask the question, <clears throat> why is it so important? Why is it so important that we don't kill? And, and don't, don't, uh, don't uh, fall asleep on me yet. I understand that's a very simple question. Um, <clears throat> I understand that's a very, very simple question, but, but stay with me for just a second. Because the reason that we find the Sixth Commandment <clears throat> in the Ten Commandments it, is not merely for establishing social order, but the issue at hand is a deeply theological one. And we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1 to find out why God values human life so highly. And you will go with me just for a moment to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, or in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Humanity is set apart in Genesis 1. It is elevated above all other cre created beings. 
No other created beings can say that they are made in the image of God, made in the likeness, the very likeness of God. And we don't have time to go down the rabbit hole of what it means to be created in the image of God. We're going to deal with that issue in a couple of weeks in systematic theology as we begin to deal with anthropology, the doctrine of man. So if you want to go down that rabbit hole with me, show up at systematic theology in a couple of weeks and we'll begin to go down that rabbit hole. But, but all I'm going to say tonight in regards to this is that this is the reason that killing man is prohibited. Because we are made in the image of God. It is more than just a social order, the establishment of social order and peace, but it is a deeply theological issue. That's why we refer to the sanctity of human life. That's a theological expression. We are saying that, that human, human life is inherently or intrinsically sacred. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, after Noah got off the ark, God commanded Noah that, that he was not to kill any other human beings. And the reason for that prohibition, just as it's stated here in Exodus 20, is given to us explicitly in Genesis chapter 9. This is what it says in verse 6 of Genesis 9, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Do you see that? Do you see the reason that murder is prohibited in Scripture? It is because we as human beings bear the image of our Creator. So when you kill another human being, you are killing a creature that resembles God Himself. But we need to stop here for just a second. Because when I acknowledge the sanctity of human life, and I acknowledge that that is a theological issue, not merely a social issue, then I am suggesting that any society that rejects God will eventually reject life, will, re will eventually reject human life. Because a proper view of human life requires an acceptance of God's Word. What does a person that does not believe in Scripture appeal to to establish the sanctity of human life? Ultimately, when we come down to it, they can, they can appeal to nothing. There's nothing but subjective arguments. There's nothing but what they feel or what they think deep down inside. But we as people of the book, people of the Word of God, appeal to God's Word for establishing the sanctity of human, human lives. There is not a, there's, there's really not a way to separate the importance of this commandment apart from a belief in God and a submission to His Word. And this is one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of separating the Ten Commandments into two groups. I understand that they were given on two tables, two tablets of stone, but, but really the Ten Commandments are indivisible in spirit. You can't accept the Sixth Commandment if you reject the First Commandment. And in fact, the Sixth Commandment, it hinges upon an acceptance of the First Commandment. All moral, in fact, all moral and ethical issues uh, hinge upon our acceptance of a Creator, a Supreme Creator and His Word. Now if that's true, if, if it's true that, uh, that, that we must believe in God in order to, uh, to affirm a pro-life position and pro-life philosophy, then what we would expect to find in a nation that has rejected God is an apathy towards death, or even worse, an obsession with death. And what do you know? You know what we find in America? An absolute obsession with death. From abortion to violence, uh, violence in the streets, to the violence that we see on our TV screens, to the violence that are portrayed in movies, 
we have an obsession with death. But keep in mind that the issue is not death. The issue is God. When you reject God, you end up, as a, you end up with a society that is pro-death and a, with a society that has an obsession with death. So with that in mind, I want us to look at just a few ways that the Sixth Commandment hits our society particularly hard. For one, the Sixth Commandment is a clear prohibition of, of abortion. Very clear. In 2022, after the Supreme Court issued its ruling, its landmark ruling, beginning to roll back some of the abortion rights, the abortion protections here in America, Pew Research Center did a poll and found that 62% of adults in America believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. That is a horrifying statistic. Tells us that the trend that America is going is a disastrous one. And those that are proponents of abortion in America have done truly a great job at controlling the narrative, controlling the language around this debate. It's a matter of rights. It's a matter of, of health care. It's a matter of freedom or choice. And in fact, the two sides of the issue are pitted as one being pro-life and one being pro-choice, one of pro-choice. But we have to ask the question, what are we wanting to choose? That's really the issue. What are we wanting to choose? And what they want to choose is, is the ability to end another person's life. And the numbers of abortions in America are truly horrifying. Statistics vary, but there are estimates anywhere between 600,000 and 900,000 abortions in America on a yearly basis. Since the uh, Roe v. Wade ruling in 1973, there have been about 65 million babies that have been aborted in America. And all this despite the fact that we have more technology available to us and more research available to us than ever before. We are able to see the baby in the womb with more clarity than ever before. We can see the movement. We can see colors. We can see features that were not, able, were not previously able to be seen. We know that, that the child in the womb feels pain as early as 12 weeks in the womb. We know that Planned Parenthood, the largest provider of abortion in America, sells baby parts for money. This practice of abortion in America is as barbaric as anything else you will find in the history books. And we like to pretend that our sophistication makes us more refined morally than the other barbarians that we read about and find in the world today, but we are no better than they. The doctors that perform these abortions and make this possible in America have blood on their hands. The scientists that devise and create the pills have blood on their hands. And though we have secured a great victory in this land and about a year ago when the Supreme Court ruled that it is no longer or it's not a constitutional protection to be able to have a, an abortion in, in America, let's be honest, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough until we outlaw this barbaric practice in the entire country. And it's not enough until we, we give the justice that is due to those that perform abortions in this country. So abortion is clearly prohibited in the Sixth Commandment. But second, consider that euthanasia is also prohibited in the Sixth Commandment. <clears throat> euthanasia and assisted suicide should be understood as what they are, murder. They are murder. And just, though, just as those that are young and helpless 
should be given a chance to live so those that are old and feeble should not have their lives cut short because they're a nuisance to, because they're supposedly a nuisance to society. We do not get the right to decide or determine when someone lives and when someone dies. God alone gets to decide that. Now we do have to be careful here because in modern times we have the ability to in some cases artificially extend life. We have the ability to do this, though they did not have the ability to do this in years gone by. Things like, uh, th things like artificial respiration, means of keeping people alive artificially longer than, they would, longer than they would live in years gone by without artificial respiration and medical treatment such as these. We need to understand that our obligation in, in terms of these treatments is that we never make a decision to terminate life. That's never, that is never in our uh, in our, we should never make that determination. But that does not necessarily mean that, that terminating treatment is always a wrong, a wrong course of action. There are some times when terminating treatment is actually an act of mercy. It is an act of ending the suffering a little bit early. Now with that in mind, we still have to be prudent and we still have to be careful. Just because we don't have an obligation necessarily to extend treatment doesn't mean that we shouldn't extend treatment. Some, sometimes it is called for to extend treatment, to offer treatment, to do whatever it takes to extend life. But we absolutely have an obligation to oppose as Christians, as people of the word, to oppose euthanasia and assisted suicide. But third, I'd give you a third implication in our society, and that is that suicide is prohibited in the sixth commandment. Whether it is killing another person's life or your own, the crime is the same, ending a human life. And when you take your life or someone else's into your own hands, what you are actually saying in effect is that you are the Lord of your own life. That you get to decide when your days end, not God. But it is, it, but it is God that is the one that is the sovereign Lord over life and death. It is He who has numbered your days, not you. It is He that gets to determine when you live and when you die. And you, you know, when you're, when you're preaching something like this, you really never know who you're looking at. Behind a smile could be a, a deeply hurting heart. There could be people in this room that really struggle with the issue of suicide. There could be people in this, in this room even tonight that, that struggle deeply with depression. Depression on a level that I could not even empathize with. That could very well be the, be the case in here tonight. And let me suggest to you that suicide is not the answer. Though it may seem to be a suitable answer in some cases, it is never the right answer. And let me also say to you, if that is you, that the church stands ready to help. The church stands ready to offer whatever help we can. Suicide is never the answer. And it is not a shame. It is not a shame to admit that you are battling something like this. It is not a shame to seek professional help in dealing with something like this. But we as Christians are called to oppose suicide. We're called to oppose abortion. We are called to oppose euthanasia. These are the clear implications of the sixth commandment as they touch our society. But I want us to consider a second heading tonight, and that is a scriptural uh, controversy from the sixth commandment. See, the commandment here tonight has, has sometimes been misunderstood as a blanket prohibition of all forms of killing. But if we consider the rest of Scripture, we know that that's not, that's not the case. The Scriptures are, in fact, quite a bloody book. There's a lot of killing in the Bible.
And in the case of the sixth commandment, because, of it, because it's so succinct, thou shalt not kill, we have to consider other commands that God gives his, his children, God gives his people, to understand what is actually prohibited here in the sixth commandment. And let me give you a few things that are not prohibited that some people think are prohibited in the sixth commandment. First of all, I think most obviously, killing animals is not prohibited in the sixth commandment. The commandment here has nothing to do with animal life. Nothing, nothing at all to do with animal life. And though we should treat our beasts with kindness, there is certainly a time to kill and butcher our animals. I mean, a quick survey of scripture, particularly the Old Testament, would find that it is filled with sacrifices. That the Israelite life was a habitual sacrifice, was, was filled with habitual uh, sacrifices of animals to God. And, and also, animals are permitted to be killed for the use of meat. And I don't know about you, but I thank God that we are able to kill animals, especially cows and cats. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't come up to me afterwards and rebuke me for that. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding about the cows. I am so thankful that we get to kill the cows. Boy, what life would be like if we were not able to kill cows. And I'm thankful that we're not Jews. We get to, we get to eat some pork as well. Not only is killing animals not prohibited in the Sixth Commandment, but also war is sometimes justified. War is not prohibited in the Sixth Commandment either. In Romans chapter 13, Paul is giving instructions regarding our responsibility to the government. And one of the divinely appointed roles that Paul acknowledges in Romans 13 is, is as he puts it, they bear the sword. Bear the sword. There's two ways that government typically bears the sword. And one of those ways is, is war. And war is never good, but sometimes war is the least bad option. And the sad reality is that we live in a world that is full of exceedingly sinful people. And sometimes those exceedingly sinful people get some power. Sometimes a group of people get some power. And they desire to inflict terror upon other people and upon other nations. And in these cases, when all other options have been exhausted, war must be considered. And we can debate the justification of certain wars, and I think all of us would probably have some different opinions on what is a justified war and what is, what is not. But the point is, is that war, though it is never an easy decision, though it is not always justified, sometimes war is justified. In the same vein, self-defense is also justified. Uh, if you are encountered by someone that you feel is going to do you or wants to do you or your family harm, you are absolutely justified in using lethal force to defend yourself and your, and your family. Killing animals, war, are not prohibited in the Sixth Commandment, but also capital punishment is not prohibited in the Sixth Commandment. Now, if you are a pro-life proponent as well as a pro-capital punishment proponent, then you might be confronted with the seeming contradiction in these two views. How can you be pro-life and at the same time be in favor of ending other lives? And of course, this argument doesn't get very far. It's a very easy argument to bat down because the reason that we are pro-capital punishment is precisely because we are pro-life. There are things that you can do when you... When you end another person's life, you have committed an act that is so great, that is so violent, that is so bad, 
that it is worthy of really only one just reward, the taking of your own life as well. <clears throat> Back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, the verse that we've already quoted, this, this is established for us by God in, in, in that text. Uh, I'll read it to you again. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Capital punishment is not only prohibited, not only, or not only is it permitted in Scripture, but in some cases it is even commanded in Scripture. Now these are the, these are the easy issues. There's really another issue that, that most of your skeptics will hit upon when they come to the Sixth Commandment. And that is the issue when God commands His children to wipe out the nations in the Canaanite land. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16 to 18, this is, this is what God instructs his, his children to do when they go into the land of the Canaanites. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their, their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so shall ye sin against the Lord, uh, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. And the question is, how do we reconcile this command to utterly wipe out, to not leave one breathing thing among those nations with the sixth commandment to not kill other humans. And what we need to understand is that there are two fundamental ways to approach scriptures and, and particularly the contradictions that we seem to find in, in scripture. There is the approach of the skeptic. And that approach is that they look at scripture looking to find a contradiction. And they'll really do whatever, the, whatever it takes to find one. They'll take scripture out of context. They'll do whatever else they need to do to find a contradiction and to highlight that contradiction to you. That's not our approach. In fact, that approach is totally foreign to you and I as believers. Our approach is that when we come to what seems to be contradictions, we immediately recognize that there are no contradictions in Scripture. Scripture is inerrant. It's a fundamental belief of ours. Scripture teaches no error. There are no errors in Scripture. So when we find what seems to be a contradiction, we do not ask the question, why is there a contradiction? We ask the question, what do I misunderstand here? Because there is no contradiction. And in rela relation to the sixth commandment, God never commands his children to contradict what he has previously commanded them. And what we have to understand in this context is that the killings of these Canaanite nations is God's way of judging them for their exceeding sinful ways. See, we like to think of these Canaanites that were utterly destroyed as, as being morally neutral people, as being okay people. They were not anything of the sort. These people were exceedingly sinful people. They offered their children as, as burnt sacrifices to their false god Molech. Uh, they were obsessed with sexual, sexual deviance. They were a society that rejected God. And this is what God says in Deuteronomy 9.4 to the children of Israel. Speak not thou in thine heart after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. So the question that we should ask about these nations that the Lord commanded his children to destroy is not why did God, wait, or why, uh, why did God uh, judge these people so harshly. 
But the question that we should ask is, why did he wait so long to execute his judgment upon them? <clears throat> See, God gave them generations to repent. Generations to repent. And they rejected God over and over and over again. And finally, their, their iniquity was full, and God sent Israel to be his instrument of judgment. So what is prohibited in the Sixth Commandment is not all killing, but rather it is all unauthorized killing of human life. And the key is that we do not get to decide who lives and who dies. Only God gets to decide that. And in today's, today's age, we, we do not operate according to Deuteronomy chapter 9. We are, not, we are not going about ethical cleansings. We're not going about trying to kill the enemies of God. That is not our calling in this life. Though God, God's name has been used throughout the centuries to perform that exact same thing. But that is not the command of God to His children. We are to love our enemies. We are to share the gospel with them. So we see the straightforward command. We see the scriptural controversy. I want us to see in closing the shocking confirmation of the sixth commandment. And the fact that this commandment has to be included here tells us that something is deeply wrong with humanity. It suggests that the capacity for murder lies at the heart of every human, even the hearts of his own children. And if we survey history, we will find that that is definitely clear. The history books are filled with, with bloodshed. Every history page is turned with the, with the sword. Just consider the last century as an example. In the 20th century, some historians have estimated that there are four people, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao, uh, Mao, that are responsible for the deaths of 175 million people. I mean, that is an unthinkable statistic. One of the most horrific periods of time to read about is World War I. Because as you read about World War I, if you've ever read, you know that, that it, was, it was at an interesting time in history where warfare or where, uh, uh, where weapons of war, warfare were, de were being developed beyond the previous era's capability. And yet the tactics of war were not being developed to adjust to those new methods of, of warfare. So you would have things like young men being sent out by the thousands running into machine gun fire as if they were fighting the single-fire rifles of a previous era. Those young men were, were jumping out of those, uh, out of those, those holes and, and, and into gunfire, heading into what was absolute certain death. They were certainly going, certainly going to die. Just absolutely horrific things. Tens of thousands of young men sent on a daily basis to their death. The human capacity for bloodshed seems to never be filled. From the genocide of Rwanda to the Holocaust to the genocide of the Yigers, it just never seems to stop. But that's not all. His history is filled with people that are entertained with violence. I think about the, uh, the Colosseums in the Roman days when they would put Christians in there and they would use the, the, the murder and the violence against Christians and others as a form of entertainment. And our time is no different. Statistics say that by the time an average child in America reaches the age of 18, it has been estimated that he or she will have seen more than 80,000 murders through their TV screen or through their video games. And just let that sink in for a little bit. How desensitized are we to violence, to murder, to bloodshed? 
We need to be careful with what we put before our own eyes and what we put before our children's eyes. We shouldn't be glorifying death in any fashion. We shouldn't be entertained by death or violence in any fashion. But before we close, I want us to consider the words of Jesus in regards to the Sixth Commandment. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. I think we're in closing. Matthew chapter 5. Because Jesus applies the Sixth Commandment to the heart. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Jesus says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill, shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, That whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And Jesus gets to the root of the issue. At the heart of murder is hatred and anger. And let's be honest, though the fruit of murder may not be present in our lives, the root of, of, of murder certainly is. Consider, for example, the, the, the example of Cain, the first murderer found in Scripture and the first murderer in, in all of human history. Uh, Cain, when he saw that he was rejected of God and that his brother was accepted of God, got very angry. And this anger went along with envy. It wasn't just that he was rejected by God, but it was as much that his brother was accepted as it was he was, he was rejected. It was something that he didn't have and something that his brother did have. And I think the story would have gone much, much differently if both Cain and Abel would have been rejected by God. Cain would not have been nearly as wroth as he was if Abel would have been rejected just as he was. So at the heart of the issue is not just anger, but the heart of the issue is also envy as well. And that envy in Cain's heart became a settled resentment. Every time he saw Abel after that rejection, he just grew a little bit more in hatred towards his brother. His heart became even more calloused towards his brother until one day opportunity rose and he slew his brother. And you can see the disdain that Cain had for his own brother when the Lord comes calling and asking for Abel, asks Cain where Abel is, and Cain says very sarcastically to the Lord, Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, you've you got to be really callous to say something like that after you've murdered your own flesh and blood. So at the heart of murder is hatred, envy, anger, malice. These are the components of the root of murder. And it's something that if we are honest with ourselves, resides in our own heart as well. Whether it's a grudge that you won't let go and in fact you nurse. Whether it's a resentment towards somebody else that has settled in your own heart. Maybe it's a name that when it's brought up in your presence, there's something in your heart that just boils up in hatred. And though you may not have the opportunity to kill them, and even if you had the opportunity, you may not do something about it. If you heard they died, you wouldn't be overwhelmed with grief. In fact, you might bubble up with a little joy inside that they got what they deserved. And that is the attitude of murder. And that is the attitude that Jesus combats in Matthew chapter 5 and condemns in Matthew chapter 5. And while we may never take the next step and commit an act of murder, we have to admit that the attitude of murder resides in our heart. And if we want to be right with God, that attitude of murder needs to be dealt with and needs to be corrected.
And let me suggest finally that there is a positive side to this command as well. If we are to never take the life of another human being, then we also have the obligation to protect and care for human life. This is demonstrated by Jesus when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. As Jesus told the story, there was a man that was beaten and robbed by robbers on the road to Jericho. He was stripped of his clothes and belonging and left half, uh, left half dead on the side of the road. First a priest passed by him, and then a Levite passed by, and they offered no help to the man, though they saw him in his plight. But then a good Samaritan, a Samaritan passed by and saw him and helped him and dealt with his wounds, gave him a place to stay and provided for him and cared for him. Uh, and, and this story demonstrates for us that sometimes the way to break the sixth commandment is by not doing anything at all. When we see the need of another human being, when we see a way that we can care for another human being that is hurting or that is, in, that is in need and we neglect to provide the care that God has given us the means to, do so, means to do with, then we are breaking the sixth commandment in spirit. And I wonder if John had that story, the story of the Good Samaritan in mind, when he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 3, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And then a few verses later he said, But whoso hath his world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? We are not to be people of hatred and anger in our heart, but we are people who are to be people of love. Love towards even those that hate us. We should certainly show kindness to those that are in need. We should show mercy to our enemies and we should certainly love our brothers and sisters.